Uh, this morning we're going to be reading Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Um, if you're able, please stand as we honor the Lord by reading his word. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Good morning to all of you. If you would turn with me once again in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We just read from that section, and we're going to focus on a little bit of that. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at part of verse 26, and yes, we're going to have two sermons on what is one word in Greek. So, you can take comfort, it's two words in English, but it sounds a little better. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, is your anger righteous? Really? Because if you're honest with yourself you would answer that, yes, because as we're going to see, that's what we always think when we are angry. Is your anger righteous? Anger in a sinner can be unsettling, and by that I mean you, me. When angry, you are convinced that you're omniscient. You have perfect clarity. And by jeepers, you are obviously right. Aren't you right? Counselor Ed Welch wrote that anger often feels absolutely sure of itself. And if we're honest, that's how we feel when we're angry. Whether we're right or not, we feel right. And we're sure about that. And you even think you know better than God a lot of those times. Remember Jonah? While he was sitting in the hot sun pouting because God refused to just wipe out the Ninevites. God appointed a plant to grow up quickly over him and provide him with shade. And the scriptures tell us how he responded. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. I mean, that's us, right? Pleasant things come. We are so happy. And then... 
the next thing is us too. God appointed a worm to kill the plant. And so Jonah, guess what? He begged to die. Ever been there? So God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. He knew better than God, or so he thought. That's sinful anger. We all wrestle with it to some degree. And if you think you don't, you really need to examine yourself and pray that the Holy Spirit will show you because you do. And maybe not to the same degree as someone else, but you do. And experience shows that when we get angry, it is more likely to be sinful anger rather than righteous anger. And so worldly wisdom suggests that, well, why don't we just work on never getting angry just to be safe? Might sound good, but the problem is it's not biblical. Believe it or not, there is such a thing as righteous anger. So today and next Sunday, we're going to explore what righteous anger is and why we should be righteously angry. And these are going to be timely messages. Think about we're coming into the holiday season and we all know that a lot of people will be lonely. They'll be depressed. Far more people will be angry. So, here's some Christmas gift ideas for you. And, and I, I say that jokingly. I don't, don't do it because if you buy one of these for somebody as a gift who has a problem with anger... It'll become a projectile back at you. <laughs> so I'm only joking on that part. Uh, and I'll just tell you real quickly about them. Uprooting anger by, and I've got these on the slide too, if you're watching uh, Zoom and can't see here. Um, Robert Jones, this is the one that I've benefited from personally. And, and as I was test, I was giving you a little personal testimony there. If you don't think you had a, have a problem with anger, I mean, I, I thought, you know, I'm so nice. I'm a nice guy. I don't have a problem with anger, you know. And then God revealed to me that I had a problem with anger. And and I've told you this before, and I've mentioned that to my wife and daughters, and they're like, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> we've known that. <clears throat> and like, oh, well, but this, this is what helped me the most. And I've used this more than anything in counseling. So excellent book. Uh, a newer book that, uh, let's see, I think this was the next, uh, Anger and Stress Management. Now it has a different cover, so on the slide you have the new cover. Uh, Wayne Mack, everything by Wayne Mack's good, like all these guys that I'm going to recommend to you. Um, he's really practical. He walks you through kind of a lot of homework and that sort of thing. That's kind of his thing, homework. Um, and then a newer book, uh, David Pallison, who's with the Lord now, but he came out with not too long ago, Good and Angry, which sounds kind of funny, because you know, we, we think, yeah, I'm good and angry, and that's not what he means by it. Um, and we're actually going to see some of that 
if you want stocking stuffers for your kids, um, the heart of anger, and again, I'm being silly here, it'd be for you to help your kids, but it's a book designed to help children deal with their anger. And I know, I know parents, your kids never deal with anger, and this is for somebody else's kid, right? But excellent book. And actually, it's pretty good for parents, too, because um, I, I actually, you know, kind of use, I rob his heart journal uh a technique that he uses, and I use it for adults. I mean, it's a good thing for any of us. And then not to leave you, you teens out, um, then the next book, um, <clears throat> Keeping Your Cool, a Teen Survival Guide, so there's something for everybody. And then, of course, as is always useful in any kind of counseling, the Christian Counselor's Manual, um, Jay Adams, and it's very foundational in um, dealing with anger and really, all of these guys are standing on the shoulders of Jay Adams because he presented a lot of this stuff a long time ago. And, and these guys learned from him, some of them directly from him, how, how to uh, teach counseling, how to counsel. And so his uh, section on anger is very helpful as well. So some excellent uh, resources for you. So we're going to camp on the first two words, or in Greek, the first one word of Ephesians 4.26. And I want to read that again for us and get it before our minds. So Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So here's the next put-off, put-on pair that we come to in this section where we have those five different put-off, put-on pairs. This one, he flips it around in a different order, and it's put on and put off. So, and we'll talk about that in a later lesson as to why he did that. But So we're going to take it the way he gave it to us. The put on is first. Many Christians are uncomfortable with a command to be angry. That is unsettling to them. Some people believe all anger is sinful. And so they prefer to translate this verse as merely permissive, okay? So the first part of it, you have uh, really two commands, but they say, okay, that first one is more permissive. It's like, if you get angry, if you happen to get angry, then make sure you don't sin, okay? And that's the way they take it. And, and there's a lot of folks out there that, that will take it that way, and you may have heard it explained that way. But the verb for be angry here is an imperative in Greek. It's a command. Okay. And he joins these two commands together and gives them equal force. He uses the, the Greek word chi to join the two together and make them equal. They're either both commands or they're both permissive. And so they can't both be permissive. We would all agree with that. And so they're both commands. Be angry and do not sin. So we should get angry. Now, this next phrase is going to make some of you uncomfortable. Anger is a Christian duty. Anger is a Christian duty. And it may sound a little uncomfortable. But, and you have to take all of this together, and we're going to talk about why it's good today, why anger can be and should be a good thing. Uh, another, another thing back on that previous thought, there's no if in this verse. In Greek, so we we can't say if you get angry. You know, we're told to get angry, but we're told that when you get angry, don't sin. In other words, your anger should always be righteous. Okay. So anger is a duty. When righteousness or justice calls for it, 
be angry. So it's not that you're to be angry all the time. But when it calls for it, when the situation calls for it, you should be angry. And we're going to be talking about when that is and, and, and then how to think about it. So how do we define anger? Well, before we jump into a, a, a definition, a couple of quotes, one from Robert Jones uh, that I showed you first, his book. He says, anger is complex, and it is. And that's why you'll find a lot of different ideas in, in the various books and commentaries on anger, because anger is complex. And But what I'm going to try to do is is simplify a definition for us uh, that takes these things into account, but makes it something we can remember and, and live by. Okay, uh, So if you want more, you can go into the books on it. Uh, he says it, it's complex. It, comprom- it comprises the whole person and encompasses our whole package of beliefs, feelings, actions, and desires. Jay Adams uh, taught that anger is a strong force, okay, no argument there, that God built into man, what? God gave us anger? Yes, he did. God built into man for the purpose of moving him to biblical action. And we're going to have more to say about that in a little bit. So here's my definition. And this is our main point for today. Anger is a powerful emotion prompted by perceived evil that motivates us to respond to that evil. Anger is a powerful emotion prompted by perceived evil that motivates us to respond to that evil. So after working through not only these books and the the, uh, biblical study on anger, I wanted us to have something a little easier to grasp and remember. Uh, But we can also, we're going to work as as we go through this, we're going to see the pieces of that, how they're justified biblically. Okay. Now, there's no doubt, and no one would disagree, anger is a powerful emotion. And what triggers anger is when we become aware of a perceived evil. Now, you probably can tell why, you probably know why, use the word perceived. Because, as I said at the beginning, we always think, that whatever it was that made us angry is evil. And now, a lot of times it is. Sometimes it's not. Now, for God, his perception and reality are the same thing. And so, and we'll talk about that next time, Lord willing. But what triggers anger is when we become aware of a perceived evil. Something is wrong. Something shouldn't have happened. Okay, and that's you think about it. Whenever you get angry, that's what happens. You feel like whatever happened shouldn't have happened, or something that did happen was wrong. So today and next Sunday, we're going to learn how to know if our anger is righteous. And so this morning, I want to examine how anger can be good. And so I just wanted to take that one part of it, and we're going to spend all the rest of our time on it, because it's kind of hard to wrap our mind around this idea that, wow, I'm supposed to be angry, at least sometimes, and in a certain way. And I want us to see how it can be, should be good. In my definition, I said that anger motivates us to respond, that is, to some wrong. God plans for our anger to be a force that accomplishes good. 
you may wonder, you know, why do I, you know, why is it so strong? You know, because when you're angry, it's never like, oh, yeah. It's never that way, is it? That isn't anger. You would never call that anger. When you're angry, it's, you know, it's just boiling in you and and sometimes in, in a very bad, sinful way. But even when it's righteous, it is still a powerful emotion. But, and this is the problem and why some people adopt a more worldly wisdom approach, something that sounds good, but it's not biblical, is that whenever we become angry, we tend to veer into one of two ditches. So on the one hand, we, we may veer into the ditch of where we see something that's wrong and we don't do anything about it. We don't say anything. We just try to ignore it. Okay, that's sin. Okay. But then on the other hand, we can veer off into the other ditch. And that ditch is where we respond sinfully. And, and so maybe, you know, we may be right about it. It might be a righteous cause, but a lot of times it'll degenerate quickly into sin. sinful behavior on our part. And so there's those two ditches. And what we want to do today and next week is to learn how can we stay on the path, God's righteous path of righteous anger. What is righteous anger like? So instead of us saying, you know, let's just be safe and, and, and just tell us, don't ever get angry and tell us how to not get angry. Okay. Why do we not go that way? Because we, we need to be angry at times. God wants us to be angry at times. So that we will do something constructive about it. That's where we're going with this. So, righteous anger. This is going to be the first thing we say about righteous anger. And we'll talk about a number of things next time. Righteous anger motivates toward biblical solutions. Righteous anger motivates toward biblical solutions. So you can see in that where good can come. It's it's trying to, you know, compel us to propel us in a certain direction. And that direction is a biblical solution. It's a righteous anger is a good gift from God. And, you know, you, you might have a problem with that. And but you know, I, I was looking again at, at the verse we put at the top of the bulletin there from Isaiah 66. And, you know, it's that those who fear, you know, who tremble at my word. We need to tremble at his word. If we don't like the idea that anger is something we're supposed to do, if we don't like Paul saying, be angry, then we need to go and tremble at his word. And realize that, well, God told me I better be angry when it's called for. And I need to humble myself and learn how to do it. So instead of just trying to avoid it, I need to learn how to do it right. Okay? So as we learn what righteous anger is, as we learn how to use it properly, Jay Adams says that we will be... Quote, letting anger motivate, that is, motivate us, to biblical solutions. And Wayne Mack, in his book, he says, uh, he walks, what he does is he walks you through making anger a positive force in your life and your relationships. And that might sound funny. Anger, a positive force in my relationships. That's where anger is always a problem, is in my relationships. 
but we need to learn how to make it a positive force in those relationships. And he says this comes through learning to harness the energy created by our anger. Does that surprise you? Does that surprise you for him to say that and for me to repeat it and to tell you that this is a good thing? You may be troubled by the energy that wells up within you when you become angry. I mean, think about it. Think about a time when you got really angry and it didn't go well. And there, there are times, you know, you know. And you think about the amount of energy that that welled up within you. It's scary. Now, part of that may be because you took this in a sinful direction really quickly. But just the the energy from anger can be scary, and that ought to humble us. And so we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, help me do this righteously for your, for your glory. You see, the reason it troubles us is because the reason it troubles you is you learn to channel it in the wrong way. You learned it just by responding. You learned it from the people around you. You saw how they dealt with anger. You know, maybe dad was explosive and mom was one that just stored it up inside. And it just, you know, you could tell that it was, you know, seething and churning and, you know, or you got the cold shoulder treatment, all those, you know, you learned in the wrong way to channel the energy. What we want to do is learn what to do with it, how to harness it, righteous anger that is, how to harness it for God's glory. David Pallison explained that anger done right is a great good. It says, that's wrong. And it acts to protect the innocent and helpless. It says, that's wrong. And it energizes us to address real problems. That's anger. Whenever there is a wrong within your sphere of influence, you should act. Okay. Now, I haven't defined that yet, what that acting is. We're going to do that today. Okay. And we're going to, we're going to define next time um, what that should look like and the character that has to go with that. Otherwise, it'll be unrighteous anger. Okay. So we've got a lot to say about it, but stay with me. We should act. John Stott lamented, though. He says, There is such a thing as Christian anger, and too few Christians either feel or express it. Indeed, when we fail to do so, and this is important, we deny God, we damage ourselves, and encourage the spread of evil. That's why we need it. We need to be righteously angry when the situation calls for it. Okay? Well, how do we do that? Well, a good way is for us to go look at how Jesus did it when he was here on earth. We can learn how to harness our anger so that it stays righteous. We can assess whether it really is righteous and then do it righteously. Okay, so turn with me to Mark chapter 3. So go back to the Gospel of Mark. 
there are only three scenarios in the gospel that where we're told using the word anger or um, in being indignant applied to Jesus. Now, he did get angry in some other places, I believe. We would probably say yes, but they don't use the word there. They don't say he became angry or he became indignant. There's three. We're going to look at two of those today. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And Jesus entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And, and this is on the heels of, of already the Sabbath becoming an issue, and Jesus making it an issue. Because he needed them to understand the real purpose of the Sabbath, which is that God provides rest. And so, you know, you had that, is that the previous pericope there, story there, was about his disciples picking heads of grain on the Sabbath, and became an issue, so verse 2, and they were watching him to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. So you can already see that this is this is a situation that's going to demand anger, right? Righteous anger. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. And Jesus said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life, or to kill. But they kept silent. And after looking around at them, notice this, with anger. <gasps> Jesus is God, and he got angry? Yes, he did. If you doubt that, go read the Old Testament and read about Jesus when he returns. He gets angry, okay? And then he was also grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So, in righteous anger, Jesus, we see here, was motivated to or toward biblical solutions. And there's at least three things we can take away from this about those biblical solutions. First, he verbally rebuked those who were trying to trap him. He knew what their motive was, and, and he could tell from that. And so he verbally rebuked them. He spoke up and spoke out. In that, he corrected their understanding about what the Sabbath was supposed to be. And you may wonder, you know... Why was the Sabbath a big deal? I mean, we're kind of going to change that, right, after he rises again, and it's going to go from Saturday to Sunday, and, and, and what was the big deal about that? This was a gospel truth. The Sabbath was meant to teach us a gospel truth, and, and you can go to Hebrews 4. You know, even after they got into the land, there still remained a Sabbath rest, and where does that rest to come from? It can only come and come from Christ. By, by man putting his trust in God, by finding rest in him. And so Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, corrected their understanding of the Sabbath. And so he spoke out and corrected that understanding that it is God who provides rest. Because their view of the Sabbath promoted works salvation. He corrected that. Okay, this was a gospel issue. Second, he was grieved at their hardened hearts. It wasn't just anger. He, he actually grieved. It grieved him to think, these people, their hearts are so hardened. 
And, you know, sometimes in some situations, grief is really the only appropriate response to, to the evil that we see. And, and we need to understand that. And we're going to talk about that again in a little bit. He was grieved. But, but don't, don't belittle grieving. Grieving over sin. There's a lot that goes with that. When you grieve over sin, what you do is you're drawing near to God. And that's important for us as we see sin, whether it's it's in our relationships, in our families, in the church family, in the world. As we see those things and we, we grieve, we are to draw near to God in that. Our grieving over sin makes us hate sin more. You and I sin. And we need to learn to hate sin more. And so as we, as we see sin happening, we need to grieve over it so that we hate it more. Hate all sin. Ours, yours, all sin. And we're going to see this leads to the next thing. It's that when we grieve over sin, it should develop in us compassion. Because even though these were Jesus' enemies, and we don't know which ones per se, but some of these religious leaders got saved. And he had compassion, even though they were trying to trap him so they could kill him. That's amazing that he could have that kind of compassion for that kind of person, that kind of sinner, like you and me. So the third solution, biblical solution, was that he met a real need. He showed compassion by healing the man. See, unlike us, you know, we're likely to to just get so mad about that that we just storm off and the poor guy is standing there, you know, he's like, oh, my hand, you know. And he called me out here and and, then he just left. And Jesus showed the man compassion. He knew this was going to get him killed. Jesus knew it was going to get him killed. He says, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. He showed the man compassion. And you know, and this is where we need to understand the need for compassion in our righteous response to sin. Is that Jesus, his compassion presented this stark contrast with the hypocrisy of the leaders. You see, all they cared about is their tradition. Their traditional understanding of the Sabbath. They're, oh, don't you cross that. I don't care if this guy continues, you know, with a withered hand. You make sure you don't go against our tradition. And Jesus said, no, no. I'm more concerned about man. Because remember what he would say, that Sabbath was not, or man was not created for the Sabbath, to serve the Sabbath, but Sabbath, the Sabbath was created for man. So that man could find rest in God. And a picture of that was this man's hand being healed. Finding rest from this long trial that he had. Jesus showed that the greater need was for compassion. Do you see the richness of Jesus' response? Do you see what righteous anger did for Jesus there? Because he being God being perfect and without sin, he channeled it perfectly. He harnessed the energy of that. And he used it perfectly. And how beautiful this is. 
And, and there was so much to that. Okay, so now go to Mark 10. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him. Uh, The people were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Another word for anger. And he said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Not that it belongs to them, but people who are like them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and he began blessing them, laying his hands upon them. Just like the Sabbath, we have another gospel issue here. And it made Jesus angry that the disciples, because for whatever reason, they thought, you know, Jesus is an important teacher. He's, he's the Messiah. You know, he's going to be king here in a little bit. And, you know, he doesn't need to bother with children. They're just kind of a nuisance. Let's just keep them away. We don't know exactly what they're thinking, but it wasn't it wasn't righteous. And Jesus rebuked them. And that's what we find here as we look at how he... What what did his anger propel him to do? He responded first by correcting his disciples' behavior. Guys, you're wrong. Don't keep the, the children from me. Okay, so he corrected that. Second, he corrected their understanding about the character of the kingdom. And he used the children as an example and illustration of saving faith. You have to receive it like a child, which is complete. I I bring nothing. I'm just a little kid. I'm a baby. I, I can't do anything, God. I need you. You have to do it all. And I receive it. That's all. You know, so baby, you know, your babies, you feed them. They just receive the food. They don't go out and plow up, you know, and grow wheat and make it into bread. They don't do any of that. They don't even go to the grocery store for you. Okay? They receive it. That's what saving faith is. And that's what Jesus, he uses this as an illustration. He said, let the little kids come because you need them. They're pictures. They're living pictures of what your faith is supposed to be like. And so he corrected that. Again, it was a gospel issue. He's telling them, my kingdom's not like what you think it is. And then third, he showed compassion to the children. Let them come here. Bring the kids in. And he put his hands on them. He blessed them. He showed them compassion. Do you see how constructive his response was? It was constructive. It wasn't condemning. Yeah, he had some harsh words for them, but it was to correct. It was to help them. Do you see how he was focused on building up his disciples? You know, it's like, guys, this is a gospel issue. You've got to get this. Because you're the ones that are going to go out there and, and you're going to be the head of my church. And you're going to be planting churches and you're going to write the scriptures. And you've got to get this. You need these children and you need to understand this. Next week, we're going to look closely at another situation. The other one where it actually says Jesus was uh, had... Anger, and, and it's where his anger motivated him to cleanse the temple. And, and we're going to see, though, that it fits the same pattern. Okay? It's no different. 
And there's some other things I want to bring out, and we're going to need to discuss it, so we're going to do that next time. Now let's talk about application. You know, what, what do we do with this? What does it look like? When you believe that you're right to be angry, think not retribution. Think solution. Our sinful knee-jerk reaction is retribution. I mean, think about it. If somebody just walks up to you and they come up from behind you in the hall and they just slap you on your head, your temptation probably will be to what? Slap them back. Go after them. Do something. Yell at them. Retribution. Okay? And, I mean, just think about it. When when you're kids and you're sitting next to each other and your, your brother punches you, what do you do? You punch him back. You know, it's just automatic. And that's what we normally, naturally think as sinners. But we have to retrain ourselves. That's what this put off, put on is all about, right? Retrain ourselves to different responses. So think solution. So whenever you feel anger, that, that energy welling up within you, fight the impulse to get back at them, to, to make them hurt the way they hurt you. Instead, think, what do I need? What, do I, what does God want me to do here to fix something, to make something better, to teach to discipline, whatever it might be. And word of caution. And this is a big issue today. <clears throat> Maybe it's always been, I don't know, but it's really a big issue today. You get angry about something that, let's say that you're righteously angry, it's a real problem, but then your anger becomes unrighteous really quick because the other people don't see that their response should be the same as your response to it. There's a lot of people out there who they see something that is a real evil. And their response to it is a legitimate way of responding. But they get angry at you because you don't respond in the same way. Now, it's not the same as doing nothing. Now, they sometimes will charge you with that. If you don't do it their way, then you're doing nothing. And that's not fair. Okay. Now, see, if they are doing nothing and they see it and they know it's an evil, then that you may need to talk with them. But it's okay for Christians to disagree on what should be their righteous response. And, you know, what would be good for us, brethren, is, is to talk about these things. I mean, don't just get mad at them and tell them, you know, that they're just as bad or something because they don't agree with you on how to respond to it. Talk. Ask questions. Why is it you feel like that is the way you should respond? Do you, do you, can you think of some other ways that might be legitimate responses? And that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those now. So don't become sinfully angry with your brother or when your brother believes his response should be different than yours. So what are some examples of responses that are motivated by righteous anger? And, and some of these I've taken from uh, Jesus' example we just saw. Okay. Speak up, speak out. Jesus spoke up. In both of those situations we saw, okay? He spoke out. And as I said, we're going to see next week what kind of character must accompany that kind of speaking up. You know, because we have to be careful. Like, for one thing, we have to have self-control. That's one of the. That's probably one of the weakest areas, right, for us. Whenever we do get angry and we decide to do something about it, is self-control, 
you know, that goes out the window real fast, right? And we just lose it. <clears throat> well, we, we have to have a certain kind of character that has to go with it, otherwise it's sinful anger. But Jesus spoke up. He found ways to make the situation constructive. He sought to correct, not to condemn. And, and this can be um, disciplinary. So for parents, when you, uh, your, your children sin, you know, people say, and you've heard me say this, uh, or correct this, <clears throat> people will say, you know, never spank your children when you're angry. You should only spank them when you're angry. Now, it has to be righteous anger. So you should say, never spank them when you're sinfully angry. Okay, and you are not sure that you can be righteous in it. Okay, that would be a better way to say it. Okay, because if they've sinned, you should be angry about that. Now, I don't mean you know losing control and everything, you know, yelling and screaming and kicking the dog. And I don't mean that. That's sinful anger. But discipline is something that that will happen as a as a um, righteous response to righteous anger. Okay. Another option, the way of responding, evangelism and discipleship, kind of lumping those together because they, they go together in a lot of ways. <clears throat> now, the, the goal of evangelism is always twofold, glorify God and to save lost people, okay? that Those are the goals. But evangelism does have a powerful impact on those things that we find to be, you know, evils out there. You know, so if you see someone, and think about out in the world, and there's all kinds of evils, right, for us to be angry about. Well, one of the most powerful things you can do is evangelize. Because you think about it, if you lead someone to Christ, guess what? Now they have the Holy Spirit living in them. Now He's helping them to understand the Word of God and, and obey the Word of God. And they're going to be doing that evil that you were righteously angry about. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. And disciples, so you build them up uh, in their faith to walk with the Lord in godliness, to learn how to obey God. And in this age, this era, John 3.17 tells us it's not Jesus' purpose to condemn, but to save. That should be our purpose, too. You know, I know it's it's tempting for us to want to go around and just, you know, point our finger at everybody and condemn everybody. That's tempting. That's not Jesus' way right now. Now, he's going to return. He's going to return as the judge, and he's going to say, okay, depart from me. He will judge the world. That's not today. Today, he's all about saving sinners, and that should be our pursuit as well. Think about uh, this comes from the two episodes or two examples from Jesus that we looked at in Mark. He talked about the nature of the kingdom. He corrected their understanding of the nature of the kingdom. <clears throat> Told them what the real purpose of the Sabbath was. It's the Hebrews four idea of finding rest in Christ. Um, those were gospel issues. You see, that's what that's why he didn't just flat out condemn them. He corrected it because these were gospel issues. His purpose is right now to save. 
another option. Support those who speak up and who evangelize. Now, there are people like the Apostle Paul that they get a chance, you know, and get to, right, of uh, being taken before the rulers and authorities, and they get to preach the gospel to them. It's not very likely that any of us here are going to have a chance to stand before our president or, or some of the, you know, notable people in the world, rulers and all, and be able to preach the gospel to them. But there are people who have those that kind of access. And so maybe you pray for them and you support them possibly. And those who are preaching the gospel out there, missionaries and others, evangelists, to support them through prayer, support them through uh, financially in other ways. In the New Testament times, there were a lot of people who, there, were a lot of, there, weren't, there weren't a lot of things they could do. But they could pray and they could support. And they did. You see, those are important, just like Avery was calling on us to pray. And, and we should be a people of prayer. That is something you can do. And so as I was saying, for someone, it might be the right thing for them to go speak up, speak out. It might be right for you to pray. Or support in other ways. <clears throat> and, and so another one which is kind of with that. Uh, devote yourself to faithful, engaged prayer about the sinful situation. That is important. Don't ever minimize prayer. Grieve over sin. We talked about that already from Mark 3, 5. Show compassion. It's fascinating that in the three scenarios where the gospels, uh, gospel accounts tell us that Jesus was angry, in all three, there's a common element. He showed compassion. That ought, to, that ought to teach us something. If that happened in the times that Jesus got angry, he showed compassion, and we should show compassion. He showed compassion to people in need. Now, it wasn't always to the people that he was rebuking, like with the Pharisees in Mark 3. And he was compassionate in that he didn't, you know, judge them right there. But he showed compassion to the man in need. You see what that does? If we are a people who show compassion, maybe you feel like you should speak up about something. You should speak out about it. Are you also known as someone who is compassionate? to people, to those in need. Because what a stark contrast that is to the hypocrisy of the world where they say this, this, and this, but we should be showing real compassion. It's a, it's a powerful contrast to sin. And then one more, and actually it becomes several more. Uh, last week, and I was blown away. I mean, Kevin was teaching in Psalm 37, and, and I told him afterward, I said, you know, I'd, I'd never really thought in terms of Psalm 37 being put off, put on. Put off sinful anger, and then here's what you put on. And there is such a wealth in that of things you should put on in its place. And I'll just read through those, and they're on the slide. Trust in God. Getting your eyes off of your circumstances and onto the Lord. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently, be humble, delight yourself in the Lord, be content in the Lord, and do good. And by that do good, that ties us in back with the compassion idea, right? That is to take action, do something about it. Show compassion. Because he, he talks about there in Psalm 37, verse 21, being gracious and giving. That's what he means by doing good. 
being gracious and giving. Okay? So if you struggle with anger, there's plenty there in Psalm 37 to work on. You know, if you're like, well, I don't know what to do about it. Well, go there and start working on those things that he tells us to put on in its place, in the place of sinful anger. Well, you know, if God was like us, he would just throw us into hell immediately. First sin, done. But he's not, praise the Lord. Yes, he is righteously angry with our sin. And we'll talk more about that next time. But, this is so beautiful. His anger motivated him toward a biblical solution. Here is this mass of mankind. They've sinned against me. They've broken my word, my commands. They deserve an eternity in hell. And instead of just saying, okay, I'm good with that, that's fine. I'll start over. He said, no, I'm going to do something about it. His anger motivated him to a glorious solution to save sinners. That's you and me, brother and sister. And we can be thankful that God did get angry at our sin. Because that's what moved him to send Christ for us. To say, son, I want to save these people. And I want to give them to you as a present. But you've got to save them first. You've got to die for them first. And Jesus is all on board with it. Because He's God too. He will one day sit as judge. But right now, He's sitting on His throne as our Savior. And He's working through us to lead more and more people to Christ. That's what we should meditate on now. As we come to the Lord's table, think about. I'm glad God got angry over my sin, at my sin. Because it moved Him to send Jesus for me. I'm glad Jesus was angry about my sin. Because in love, He wanted to do something about it, and He did. And I'm glad the Holy Spirit was angry about sin because He brought that message to me and He gave me new life. He saved me.